Uh, I invite you to open up to Psalm 149, is where we're going to begin in a moment. Hope you have a Bible with you. Always good to have it, whether digital or paper. And also give my greetings to our online viewers. Some of them are my family at home. It's no good being sick, but at least you've got YouTube live these days. So uh, thanks to our tech team up the back who make that happen behind the scenes, but they're always faithfully there. And you only look at them when something goes wrong, but uh, encourage them as well. We appreciate the behind the scenes teams. Okay. Got Psalm 149. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read it. Lord, here we are, the ones you love, and we say we love you. We love your presence. We ask you to increase your presence here in this place this morning and all over the city, God, as other believers are gathering right now in this city, God. We say you deserve the worship of every heart. You deserve every voice lifted up in praise. And as we look at that subject, we look at who we are, who we are called to be, we ask for a spirit of revelation. Father of glory, would you increase the spirit of revelation and wisdom, enlightening the eyes of our hearts that we would know the hope of our calling, that we would know who we are, that we would know the glorious riches of your inheritance in the saints, that we would know the incomparably great power that is for us who believe. God, give us insight into your word, into your heart, into your ways in this short time together. Change us, Lord. Transform us to be more like your son. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Psalm 149, it says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Amen. So last Sunday, Wayne and Julie were up here having a conversation with each other, with you guys, about identity, about kingdom of priests, and... We were looking at Exodus 19, and the question was raised, what does it look like? This is what we've been called to be, a kingdom of priests. That was the calling of Israel at Mount Sinai to be a nation different from other nations, to lead the nations of the earth into something called a priesthood, being a family of worshipers. And then we see it again throughout the scriptures in Peter. We see it in Revelation 1. Jesus purchased us with his own blood that we would be a kingdom of priests. So the question was raised, so what does that look like? How do we function in that? And in the mundane and the ordinary, in the jobs that we have, in the dishes we have to do, with the lawns we have to mow, with the children we're raising, the rent that we're paying, on and on it goes. We're not in a monastery. 
we're, we're in the everyday spheres of life. What does it look like for us to walk out our priestly calling? So I've just read Psalm 149, and, and uh, this, gives, this gives us insight into the glory of the saints. That's how, that's how the psalm ends. This is the glory of the saints. This is the glory of his faithful people. And it's a pretty vicious psalm in some ways. There's, there's talk of swords and there's talk of binding kings and, and nations. And this is who we're called to be. An aspect of the kingdom of, of priests is a life that's battle ready. A warrior spirit. Are people who are ready to contend for the things of God. So I want to just throw a few thoughts about that at you this morning. Now, in ancient Israel, you may know that for the priests, uh, praises of God in their mouths and sword in their hands, sometimes that was a literal sword. Now, I'm not going to be talking about us carrying literal swords this morning. I'm going to be going with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, which we'll, we'll read in a moment. But... Just, just for some historical context, we know priests were often battle-ready, weren't they? Uh, right back in the beginning when the Levites were singled out as, as that tribe, uh, Exodus 32. Moses had been gone on the mountain. He came down to find a people who had already given themselves over to idol worship. We're saying, we don't know where this guy Moses has gone. We don't really know this God thing, but... Let's make an idol. They're worshipping a golden calf. They're going back to the ways of the other nations. And it's the Levites who would become the priestly tribe who go out and, and there's, they kill a bunch of their brothers in this, this cleansing act. So that, that's confronting. And they become the priesthood. Uh, there's other stories like that. There's stories like Joshua 6. Who knows what's in Joshua 6? There's a city with big walls, starts with J, it's called Jericho, and seven priests are instructed to march around, and they, they didn't uh, literally knock the walls down, but what did they do? They, they had a shout, they had a ram's horn, they had an assignment, a military assignment to join with the purposes of God and what he was doing in that physical place. So priests with a battle-ready mindset. Many of you will know the story of Jehoshaphat and the, the singing army that goes, sings the praises of God and the Lord sets an ambush against the nations. Do you know that story? Second Chronicles 20. There's this army from Moab and um, I think the Ammonites are coming. They're gathering. The, the spies come back to Jerusalem. They say, King Jehoshaphat, we've seen uh, this vast army, it says, a vast army. That means, that means there's a bunch of guys coming to kill you. Okay, so we're familiar with the stories. It can read kind of cute and nice like a Disney movie. But for them, it was real, right? There's guys, lots of them coming to kill us. What do we do? Uh, the king calls them to prayer and fasting. Part of his prayer is that famous line, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then Jehaziel, who is a Levite, gets the word of the Lord. And he says, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And they go out the next day confident that God's going to fight for them. And what do they do? They put, well, I'll read it. I have it here. Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles 20, verse 21. Appointed men to sing to the Lord 
and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, I get the privilege of leading our worship team here at New Life Church, and we've, we've done some creative things over the years, but we've not been at the front of a physical army marching towards a bunch of guys who actually want to kill us like this. But welcome to this worship team at the head of the army, giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It would be interesting to see the, the mixture of emotions and uh, what was going on that day. But they did it. They began to sing and praise, and this is what the Lord did. He set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So these stories, just to say, this is a picture of the priestly life. Remember, we're talking about what does that look like? What does that look like as an accountant or a teacher or a student doing exams? You don't have a sword strapped to your side, but you do have a calling to take your part in this kingdom of priests. And you do have a calling to be ones like these who will have the praise of God in their mouths and will go into the battle confident that God is the one who fights for us. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. So the priesthood, had a, it included real enemies, real warfare, real battles. Um, I like what Charles Spurgeon said. When he said, if you had a sword of steel, you would fight with men, but that is no part of your business. You are not called to that cruel work, but as you have the sword of the Spirit, go forth and praise God by the use of that two-edged sword, which is the Word of God. We know what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6. Many of you are familiar with it, but I, I want to read it to us again. Remind us of who we are. We are called to be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. So we're a priesthood and we are faced with a struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to what? Stand. Stand firm. And we know he goes on to speak of the, the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I think I've been guilty of just being more focused on how cute it is when my kids dress up in the armor of God and say, look, I've got the sword of the Spirit. Like it, It's cute, but Paul's point wasn't to write a Sunday school curriculum. His point was to equip believers for real battles, right? And this is one of those scriptures where we've got to be careful lest we become so familiar with it because we've heard it quoted a billion times that we forget the reality of it. There is a day of evil that comes and you've got to be ready to stand. And in Paul's day, writing to Ephesus, you know, it's, it's an age of conquest. It's an age of, of warriors and soldiers. And, and they, they saw that stuff. They had those, those visuals in front of them, the swords and the spears and the shields. 
We don't have that. We're, we're in peacetime. Praise God. I'm grateful for that. But I don't want to be counted out of my calling as a priest who's battle ready, who knows he has weapons, who knows how to use them to take a stand in the struggle with my brothers and sisters and see God's victories in the earth. Am I making sense? So yes, we serve the Prince of Peace. Yes, we experience peace on the inside, but we're not living in peacetime. We're living in wartime. And I remember probably about five years ago having, I mean, I've been in church all my life, so I've heard put on the armor of God all my life. But I think it was about five years ago where a shift really started to occur because I want everything to be at peace. I don't want conflict. I don't want spiritual warfare. I don't want hard times. I don't want to be trained through struggle. I just want to, you know, go to whatever that next place is easily, right? I know you do too. We, we love comfort. We're addicted to finding the easiest way. But God in his wisdom trains his people to partner with him to see something released in the earth. And it's not, this is not to give credit to the enemy like he is strong and mighty and we are to be intimidated. No, we know the end of the story. We know the battle does belong to the Lord. We know the turning point of the war has occurred. D-Day has taken place, but we are waiting for that consummation of victory. Do you know the World War II, those terms, D-Day, VE Day, which was victory in Europe. So D-Day was the Allied forces landing at Normandy, uh, June 1944. I'm looking for affirmation from my historians. I have it written in my notes. I just wanted to see if I could remember it. Where is it? Yes, June 1944. So we know the story. We watch the movies. The turning point the, the, of occupied Europe. The Allied forces break through. But it wasn't until a year later in May 1945 when they called it VE Day, right? The consummation of victory, the celebration. War is over. And that's a good picture, I think, of what the cross has done on D-Day. The cross was the turning point. The cross was D-Day. That invasion by the Son of God to destroy the works of devil, to strip the, strip the powers and authorities bare, Colossians says, to make a spectacle of them. He has the victory. Therefore, we have the victory. But until he comes again as king, there are these skirmishes on the earth as the enemy rages and wants to wants to try and wreak havoc while there is still time. But VE Day is coming. That, that day of consummation is coming. So that's, that's the picture of battle that way we're in. Because of what Jesus has done, we know victory is certain. We know the battle belongs to him. So I'm saying this to try and stir up in us again a battle-ready mindset that you can't, well, you can try to run and hide, but we don't want to abandon our calling. We don't want to miss our place in the family of God, in the army of worshipers. If you don't like the military language, I'm sorry, but that's, we need to get some fight in us on the inside to, to stand firm when the battle comes to me, my household, but also for my brother, also for my sister, to be a people ready, a priesthood ready with the praises of God in our mouths, the double-edged sword, the word of the Lord in our hands. We need to know how to use it. 
like many of you, my whole life has been peacetime in terms of geopolitics. My dad and my uncles grew up in Zimbabwe and they, as 20-year-olds, got conscripted to the army and they had to endure the realities of civil war. And I'm grateful they came here to start a new life and I've known peace. I've known the prosperity of this nation my whole life and I'm grateful for that. But I don't want that to creep into my, I don't want that physical reality to creep into my spirit reality and I've become a sleepy civilian. I have no desire to, to join in the, uh, the army reserve or anything. But in my spirit, I want to be awake. I want to be alert. I want to be sober. I want to be ready. I want to know what God's called me to. And I want to know how to engage in the battle with him. We become a kingdom of priests because of his blood shed for us. That means there has been a conscription. We've been conscripted into his army of worshipers ready for the battle. So here's a three-word takeaway. If you're any good at remembering three words from a sermon, here it is. Don't get civilized. And some of you might be thinking where I'm going. There's a movie reference coming up. You got civilized. Before I get to that, 2 Timothy 3. If I can have that on the screen, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul said, join with me in suffering, Timothy, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. That's how we got to see ourselves. We're not called to be entangled in civilian affairs. We are called to be soldiers, pleasing our commanding officer. The enemy wants us to get entangled in civilian affairs. He wants us to be lulled into this comfortable quiet life but that means a civilian in this context someone who's not going to be able to stand firm when the battle comes civilians get shocked they get overwhelmed they don't know what to do they're unable to hold their position they're unable to take ground the priesthood that's battle ready the ones who are focused on the the commands of their their king jesus they know what to do they're not shocked by the battle so our drift, we need to be aware of it. Our drift is to be entangled in civilian affairs and to settle down and to go for balance and, and just let's not get too excited. But that's contrary to who we're called to be with the praise of God in our mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Okay, who knows the movie reference? Did anyone figure it out? You got civilized. I'm looking at you, Jody. All right, Liz, help us out. There it is, classic. Rocky Three. This is the quote. I, I'm not feeling like you guys are responding to this. I thought you'd be far more. I mean, you guys probably never seen it. It was released the year I was born. Tony's with me. You got civilized. That was Rocky's problem in Rocky Three. Don't you remember the epic drama of it all? The, the, yeah, the awesome acting. I watched it the other day just to, I, I, I stole this picture from um, Corey Russell, used it. And if you know Corey Russell, you can imagine him being a Rocky fan. But I was just amazed at 
the the quality of the no engine. Anyway, getting off track. But if you don't know it, that's Mickey, Rocky's trainer. Rocky's been the he's defended his world champion boxing title for like ten times. But then Mr. T comes into town, right? Clubber Lang, and he's vicious. He's hungry. And so this is, this is the scene where Mickey, the coach, is saying, I quit. I'm not going to coach you to do this fight with Mr. T. And Rocky's like, hey, And he says, the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. Three years ago, you were supernatural. You were nasty. You had this cast iron jaw. And the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. Just trying to make it memorable for you guys. You got civilized. Paul's saying what? Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. So Rocky lost the eye of the tiger. I joked with the worship team we could close with that song today. The eye of the tiger. <laughs> You're going to remember this at least, right? But he was living on the stories of last year. He was living on the accolades. He was like, you know, I've been there, I've done that. I think I'm just going to settle down. And then his coach knew he wasn't ready for a battle. So to bring it back to the language of the scripture, you know, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. But that's our drift, to just settle down, to just play it safe. But as a kingdom of priests, we are called to be battle ready. We are called to have the praises of God in our mouths, the word of God in our hands, to use it to know how to fight, to know how to fight together. So don't get civilized. What do I mean by civilized? Like I said before, obviously, this is not about your occupation. This is not about quitting school, stopping homework, or neglecting the, the weeds in the front yard. We, we do the everyday stuff, the mundane and the ordinary. It's not bypassing that, but it's in the midst of that being Knowing our identity, believing that God really does want to use us, to work in us, to partner with us, to advance his purposes in the earth. That there is an assignment, there's a calling we have on our lives. And because of that, there's an enemy that's going to come and rage against us. And instead of being shocked or overwhelmed by that reality, knowing how to stand firm. And in the ebb and flow of battle, being those who do not shrink back, and get destroyed but those who are of faith, those who preserve their souls in the language of Hebrews. We don't shrink back. We're not those who are destroyed. We're those who stand firm. Being civilized, not being civilized, I think of being more preoccupied with God's story than our story. Instead of building our own kingdoms, building our own comfortable lives, what is God doing? Instead of asking the question, what's the easiest way to get out of this pain right now? Coming to that place where we can say, God, what are you doing? I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. What, what are you doing? What do you want to train me for? I know that's my story. Despising the pain, but slowly, still learning to say, God, you're doing something. What are you doing? You're the one who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. You know, he comes to us. And sometimes in our, in our worship times, last week, if you were here, Man, the praises of God were in our mouths. There was a there was a sound of a sound of victory, a sound of joy last week, a sound of God's doing something and we want to be right there doing it with him.
confidence in who he is, eager to speak out the praises of God, to do the work. There's work, there's discipline in the in the, in the milit in the in the priestly life, the battle ready life. I like what Art Cat said, because it's gonna be there's gonna be a stigma of being different when we embrace this kind of a life. It's not it doesn't fit in with the cultural norms. And Art Cat said, In our day it's strange to be strange, but our lives should provoke something from others. Whether that's curiosity or hatred, we should not easily blend in as one of the boys. If your goal is to blend in as one of the boys, you can't fulfill the calling of the priesthood, the kingdom of priests, what you were purchased to with royal blood. Being uncivilized in this way, it's not about being rude, not about going out of our way to, to, to stir things up, but it's there's a ferocity, there's a tenacity, there's a contending. It's, it's, it's John the Baptist, right? John, no one, no one accused John the Baptist of being a well-balanced. Sometimes we're committed to having a well-balanced life, but sometimes we might need to eat some locusts and eat some honey and be out in the wilderness. You know, it's a picture of a, a fasted, restrained lifestyle, and people came to watch him burn. So, what are some practicals for this priestly, battle-ready life? You know, you watch those documentaries about soldiers like Navy SEALs or, or SAS, and they talk about a code. We live by the code. What's our code that we live by? Well, it's not, there's, um, there's nothing new that I'm sharing with you, but just to remind us, there are the things we can do to position ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to be priests who are battle-ready. And one of the things I think is uh, the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. If you want a practical, go back to the Sermon on the Mount series we did last year and look at the Beatitudes. Look at the call to praying, fasting, and giving. The way to keep your soul from being entangled in civilian affairs is to embrace the fasted lifestyle, is to embrace the, the sacrificial lifestyle of prayer, of giving my time, giving my finance. It actually looks like weakness. We're talking about you know, being battle-ready, we think, oh, we get psyched up to be strong and mighty. Actually, the way we enter into this lifestyle is in embracing the weakness, right? I think of fasting. Fasting is that wonderful, terrible discipline of positioning ourselves in voluntary weakness before the Lord to say, God, I need you. God, I want to make room for you. God, I'm, I want to create a runway for the spirit of revelation. God, here I am. I'm giving up food. I'm experiencing weakness. I'm asking you to fill me. I'm asking you to encounter me, tenderize my heart. I am a fan of the discipline of weekly fasting. If you want to be real practical, set a day every week where this is my fasting day. And for you, it might be a meal. It might be two. It might be three. It might be no media that day. Whatever it is, you work it out with the Lord. But rather than every six months, or, oh, yeah, I remember fasting once upon a time. Jesus calls, invites us into it as a lifestyle. I think that's one of the practicals we can do, the life of prayer, commitment to pray together. We have a prayer room. 
You've heard this before. The invitation is there. Come, pray together. Learn to stand in the battle together. Giving, giving our time, giving our finance. It's in these disciplines, we get acquainted with our need for God. We get detached from worldly pleasures that dull us down and make us sleepy civilians. Because we need help. We need help to stay unentangled. We need help to get a sharpness in our spirit, to be alert to what God is doing so we can respond rightly. So Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, that's very practical. That's the code of conduct for this kingdom of priests. Secondly, we just literally do what Psalm 149 says. Get the praise of God in our mouths, get the word of God in our hands. Because that's our sword. That's the sword we're talking about. The sword of the Lord, the spirit of God. Paul says, take it up. That sword of the spirit, take it up. Pray at all times in the spirit. That's how we fight. It requires discipline. It takes time. You, you train. You start where you're at and you train. You learn. You grow from where you're at so that you're ready to stand firm. And in 10 years, you'll find that things that completely overwhelmed you, now you've grown in discernment. You've grown in the knowledge of his word. You've got some might on the inside. You know, you have some go-to passages, a few favorite Psalms where you feel that battle, you feel that intimidation, you see that sickness, you see that pattern of disruption in your family or in your community, and you go, I've seen this before. I'm taking my sword. I'm going to have conversation with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to release the praises of God, and I'm going to see things shift. Amen? You don't just go from being asleep, brain dead on Netflix, to being able to do that the next day. You need to train. You need to have a certain diet. You need to have a certain schedule to build that up in your life so there's a readiness to partner with God. And we need that. I need that from you and you need that from me. We need to be a family that knows how to fight together. We are relatively or almost totally persecution-free in our society. But I think Jen and I were having a conversation of if persecution comes or if we're in a, in, a, in a region where there's intense physical persecution, what would it be like to, to, to be in your Christian community and go, these are the ones I can count on? It's like, I want to have that tight-knit family, that army of worshipers. I'm like, I know if I'm weary in the fight, I know I can count on you. I can count on you. You can count on me. We're going to fight together. We're going to see things shift. That's who we want to be. So literally practicing Psalm 149.6, singing his praises, memorizing his word, letting it be a fuel for your battle cry. And lastly, number three, we've got to do it together. We have to do it together. Exodus 17 has come up a few times for me this week from a, a number of different people, just unrelated. So I almost made my whole message about Exodus 17, but I'm just going to read a passage of it and, and then wrap this up. But you, you probably know the story. It's Moses on the hill interceding while Joshua is fighting the battle below. You remember that story? You can find it in Exodus 17, verse 8. It says this, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. 
Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. It's a picture of intercession. So Moses is going to be on the hill interceding, talking to God on behalf of the battle that's going on right in front of him. And Joshua is down there. Joshua fights the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. I don't know if there's a clearer picture of intercession than this. Moses' hands grew tired. So they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is a great picture of this calling to be an army of worshippers together, a kingdom of priests together, a family who can stand together in the battle. The reality is I can't do it. You can't do it alone. We need one another. We need the Aaron's and the hers. And uh, I don't mind who you see yourself as in the picture, whether it's Joshua down there or Moses up here or Aaron over here or her. The point is the same. We need to do our part. We need to bring what God's given us to bring. When you show up on Sunday morning, I need you to bring something. Bring your song. Bring your prophetic declaration. Bring your overflow because you've been feeding on the word of God. You've got a, a sword to bring into the fight to see things happen. I need you to bring it into the prayer room. We need each other. So we've got to learn to do it together. A sure way to find yourself quickly defeated in battle is isolation. Isolation is a killer. We've all seen those documentaries where there's the herd and the, the lion chasing the wildebeest or whatever. What do they do? They single out the weak one, the one that stumbled at the back. They just try to get them isolated. Or, you know, the wolves chasing down the, the reindeer. They, they just cause a bit of confusion and they just get that one off to the side. If they can get it isolated, even though the animal's bigger, it's stronger, it can actually beat those, those wolves pretty good. If they get enough of them around it, they get it isolated away from the herd. They're going to overcome it. Isolation's a killer. Don't let shame, don't let condemnation count you out. Don't hide in whatever's gone on in your week. If you stumbled, if your battle is you stumbled, you, you, you gave in to temptation, don't hide in shame. Don't let isolation be your place of defeat. Send out that message. I need help. I need you guys to fight with me. You know, make your confession, whatever you need to do. But don't isolate. There are people that are going to fight for you. There are people who are not going to judge you and condemn you. They're going to move towards you and say, yes, I'll fight with you. This is something I've had to learn over the last years. Me and my family, we're getting, we're getting a lot quicker these days. This, this week, some of you were getting text messages from us because we were like, oh, something's going on. We're feeling it, you know. One day it's one of us, the next day it's someone else, the next day it's the children. We need, we need brothers and sisters to fight. We need Aaron Hur to get on board with us because we, we can't keep our hands up on our own. So this morning, 
The call is don't get civilized. Don't get civilized. Don't lose that eye of the tiger. Ask God to put it in you. And maybe you've, maybe you've drifted into civilian affairs. Your prayer this morning is, God, help me. Help me to be battle ready. Help me to have that priestly mindset where I'm ready to take my place in the family, take my place in the army of worshipers. This morning, maybe you're like Moses in Exodus 17 and you're just weary. You're, you're in the fight, but you are weary and you need people to come around you. We want to pray for you this morning. Um, worship team, I don't know if Nathan's done. He's teaching kids out the back as well as leading worship. I'm going to need you in a moment, Nathan. But uh, as the worship team comes up in a moment to lead us, I want to have a time of prayer. We've got, we got time. I'm finishing before 11, so you've got no excuse to run away. No, it's up to you. It's up to you. But I want to make space for people to come and receive prayer. Maybe you've been that one, you know, I've let myself get into that place of isolation. I want to come forward and receive prayer to, to make myself vulnerable in that way, to say I'm part of the family. I need help. I can't do it on my own. Maybe you're someone who's been afraid of the battle. Your, your commitment has to be been to avoid conflict and pain at all costs and, and just to find that easy path. And you know God's saying to you today, no, I want to teach you to fight. I want to teach you how to stand firm. I want to teach you how to put on the armor of God. So can we stand? I'm going to pray. And I've asked these guys to sing one of those victory songs, to raise a hallelujah so we can practice Psalm 149, verse 6 again. The praises of God in our mouth. And if you would like prayer this morning, anything that fits into what we've been speaking about, I want to invite you to come down to the front. And, and other new lifers to be ready to pray. So God, here we are. The kingdom of priests, purchased with royal blood. This is who you've called us to be. And we look at your word and we see, God, there's a calling to stand in the battle. And God, where there is weariness today, I want to ask for strength and encouragement. I want to ask, God, for your help to, to see ourselves in that Exodus 17 story. Moses interceding as he sees the battle. But he needed Aaron. He needed her. And Joshua, he needed Moses interceding for him. God, give us greater insight into who you've called us to be as a, as a family, as brothers and sisters standing together. If you want prayer this morning, you can come down right now. Lord, we ask for insight and understanding to be to be a people who don't cave in to the worldly pleasures that overcome us and make us those sluggish civilians in our spirit we want to know what Paul knew as he called us not to be entangled in civilian affairs to be ready as a soldier we want to know what Paul did as he he said in Ephesians 6, stand firm, put on the armor of God, stand firm. God, where we've been committed to a, a well-balanced life, 
God, give us that John the Baptist radical spirit. God, stir it up in us to be a little bit unbalanced, to be willing to bear the stigma of being different, not blending in as one of the boys. God, save us from being civilized. Come on, pray with me. Let's begin to pray. God, we know days of evil will come. And before you return, there's an intensity that is going to come on the earth. And we want to be ready. We want to be those who can stand firm. So help us, Lord. Train us. You've given us an assignment in this city. And the enemy rages against it. He wants to keep us quiet. He wants to shut us down. He wants to put that spirit of shut up on us, that we would not open our mouths. But Lord, we say we're going to be the ones who have the praises of God in our mouths, a double-edged sword in our hands. If you're able to come and pray with people, guys praying for guys, girls praying for girls. There's some more people down the front here. This morning we raise our hallelujah because it's the, it's the weapon you've given us. Our weapon is worship. Our weapon is to know your word, to take your word, to know who you are, to know who we are, and to use it. God, we want to be effective. Come and help us.